0: Father, we're so thankful that we have your word. We're so thankful that you've given us this book of Exodus. Lord, because in this story of Exodus, Lord, we get a great picture of our own deliverance and salvation. Lord, how you came down to this earth to set us free from bondage and to take us to your promised land, to a life, Lord, unlike any we could have ever known without your help. And we just thank you for that. We're so grateful, Lord, that that you were willing to die for us and pay for our sins and give us your life. Lord, all of that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand more about you as we see this picture of your deliverance of the Israelites. We just ask for your grace Lord we ask for your power uh, in our study Uh, we ask that you just bless us Lord and may we be a blessing to you as we are attentive to your word today I just thank you for your goodness to us Lord I thank you in Christ's name amen all of you I'm sure are familiar with the old adage that what goes up must come down well in God's economy of things that's not necessarily true in fact, whenever God comes down, things can't help but to go up and really weigh up. That's the way God works. And so as we come to chapter 3 today of uh, the book of Exodus, things couldn't be lower in the life of uh, Moses, uh, in the life of the Israelites. I mean, here was Moses, and now he's been, in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, struggling as a shepherd, a lonely shepherd, uh, out in the wilderness of Midian. And the Israelites are in terrible bondage uh, amongst the uh, 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 Egyptians. And things were really down. They were looking down. But God's about to come down, and things are going to change. And things are going to be really looking up. If you remember last time, we saw how Moses had been raised. He'd been raised really by two people. Uh, he had, his mother, to save his life, had put him in a little basket down and floated him down the Nile River. And he just so happened, by the providence of God, to be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter hired uh, Jochebed, Moses' mother, to actually nurse him. And so she had a big influence on those formative years of his life. And then also Pharaoh's uh, uh, daughter also had a big influence on Moses' life. So when he became a man, he had a choice. He had a choice between two worldviews. He could choose between the godly worldview of the Hebrews or he could choose between the pagan worldview of the Egyptians. And when we left off last time, Moses had made that choice. He had chosen, we're told in the book of Hebrews, it says they're choosing rather to suffer affliction with the Jewish people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of Egypt. And so Moses made his choice. And not only did he choose to just put aside the pleasures of Egypt, uh, he decided that he was good. I think his mother had told him at a young age that he was the deliverer of Israel, that he was a special man, got into Anointed him for that task, and really he had, but it wasn't time yet. But Moses, in his own pride and self-sufficiency, decided it was time. And so you remember the story: uh, he saw an Egyptian Egyptian soldier uh, beating a Hebrew slave, and so he took matters into his own hand and he killed the Egyptian soldier and he hid him in the sand. Well, the next day he he saw two Hebrews fighting amongst themselves, and he said, "Why are you fighting amongst your brothers?" And, and, and uh, the, the, one of the Hebrew slaves said, who are you to uh, make yourself judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed uh, the, the, the Egyptian soldier? Are you going to bury us in the sand? And so Moses knew that he was found out at that point. And so he ran as fast as he could, as hard as he could, all the way down to, the, to Mount Horab to the land of Midian. And there he met his bride, Zipporah, he married poor. he had two sons, one named Gershom and one named Eliezer, and uh, his father-in-law was Jethro, and so when we left off, here was Moses, and he was pretty down, I mean he had given up on ever delivering Israel, and he was uh, shepherding sheep for Jethro, and 40 years had passed when we come uh, to chapter number three, and so As we come to chapter 3, God's about to come down, and he's going to raise up Moses, and he's going to raise up Israel. And what a story we're going to see. So go with me to chapter number 3, and let's pick up in verse number 1. Chapter number 3, verse number 1. It says there, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he comes down, and he comes. Uh, uh, he's out uh, herding the sheep, and he goes to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is the same as Sinai, uh, and we're going to see Sinai later on because Moses is going to come back down into that area with the Israelites after the Exodus, and there he's going to receive the Ten Commandments uh, from the Lord. And so uh, the mountain is a very important spot. And here's Moses, and he's herding these sheep, and he's near the mountain, and he's thinking, you know what, my life is, I'm 80 years old now. My life is pretty much over. God's not going to be able to use me for anything. Uh, I'm just going to spend out my years herding these sheep. Well, he's in for a big surprise. Look at what happens next in verse number 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? Well, the angel of the Lord is God in a body. Well, who is God in a body? God in a body is none other than Jesus Christ. So who appears here to Moses? It's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's what we call a Christophany or a theophany. And so, so here is the angel of the Lord, and he appears, appears to Moses in a flame of fire. Now, that wasn't any ordinary type of fire. What it actually is it's the Shekinah glory of God is what Moses is seeing here. The same Shekinah glory that Moses is going to see for 40 years when he's out in that wilderness. It's going to be the Shekinah glory of God that follows uh, the Israelites and Moses throughout the wilderness journey, or actually hovers over them throughout the wilderness uh, journey in this cloud of glory. And so he sees this flame of glory, this flame of fire from the midst of of a bush. Now, don't picture this as some little tumbleweed. This is a large bush, a very large bush, almost like a tree, big enough to... Uh, that the angel of the Lord can stand in the midst of that bush. And so uh, he sees this flame of fire from the midst of the bush, so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning and the fire, uh, with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So he sees this strange fire, but it's not burning up the bush. And so he's going to take a second look at it, verse number 2. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And uh, then in verse number four, the, the Lord sees that Moses is taking notice. In verse number four, it says, so, so when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, and he says, Moses, Moses. Have you ever saw the movie The Ten Commandments? It was more like Moses. Moses. Whoa! I mean, Moses was taken. If that's the way it was, Moses was really taken back. I don't think it was that way. I think it was more like when God spoke to Jacob, and he would go, Jacob, Jacob. Let me, let me put it this way: I've got a little grandson. Y'all all know my grandson James. Well, when he wants something from me, he goes, Papa, Papa, and I, and and it just. It just flows with love. I hear that. I mean, he, he can get anything he wants at that point. <laughs> I, I think it was more like that. I mean, not coming from a child, but coming from an adult voice. It, was a, it, it flowed with love. I mean, I, mean, I mean, Moses could hear the love of God in that voice. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And then he said, he, the Lord said to Moses, Do not draw near to this place. I love you, and you're my child, but don't draw near to this place. And the reason you can't draw near to this place is because it's holy ground. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Whenever you're in the presence of God, let me tell you, you are standing in holy ground. Whenever we approach God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we are standing on holy ground. Now what's that say when when we're told uh, in Colossians that it's Christ in you, your hope of glory? What's that say about you? You are holy ground. Paul speaks in Romans 5 of the fact that we stand by faith in the grace of God, in the presence of God. I mean, it's by grace we stand in the presence of God. He makes us holy so we can stand in a holy place. But but with that said, don't ever flippantly approach God and not be aware of the fact that He is a very holy God. You are, I'm guilty of of sometimes flippantly going to God. Shame on me. I'm guilty of sometimes walking through life with the Holy Spirit, holy God living in me and not being aware of the fact that my body is holy ground. We need to be aware of that. And so the Lord says to Moses, yes, I love you, and yes, you're getting to see me, but this is very holy ground because you're standing in the very presence of God. Of God, And then verse number five, he says, Moreover the Lord said to him, I am, I'm the great I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So listen to how God describes himself. He says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not I was the God of your father when your father was alive, or the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when he was alive. I am now the God of your father, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, uh, and the God of Abraham. And 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 Moses had to take some some uh, uh, find some joy in that statement. Because he didn't, I don't think at this point he knew, didn't know whether or not his father was alive or not. Uh, but God is saying, I am the God of your father, Amram. Now, Amram lived to be 137 years old. We're going to see later on. But, uh, so so uh, uh, he very well might have been alive at this point, but, but maybe not. But he still was alive in God's eyes because God is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. Remember when Jesus was born Bantering with the uh, Sadducees about about the uh, uh, about the, the the doctrine of the resurrection, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And he said, "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, and not the God of the dead." And so, so he tells Moses exactly who he is. Here, he doesn't give him his, his name yet. He actually does give him his name, but Moses doesn't recognize it as his name yet. All right, then. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Uh, Remember later on, uh, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, and he says, Lord, can I see your face? Can I see your glory? And the Lord says to him, no man has seen God and lived. The only way that we can see God is in human form, like Moses sees him now as the angel of the Lord, as Jesus Christ. But even then... To see him in his glory, i tell you right now, when you see the Lord in his glory, it's going to cause you to fall on your faces dead. Just like it did John, who had walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord and laid in his bosom. And then he saw the Lord in his glory when he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he fell on his faces dead. And I tell you, that's who Moses saw here. He saw that Shekinah glory coming from that bush, and he saw the Lord in his glory, and he was afraid to look upon God because he didn't want to die. And the Lord said to him, in verse number seven, I have seen, now the Lord's going to tell us a little bit about himself here, so listen to this. He says, the Lord says, I have seen the oppression of my people that are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You see what a personal God God is? The way he describes himself, listen listen to what he says. He says, I have seen the oppression, I have heard their cry, and I know their sorrows. You know, that's exactly the way God relates to you. If you're a child of God, he sees your oppression. He hears your cries. He knows your sorrows. Just like he did the Egyptian, he knows Knows every one of us. He knows what's going on in every one of our lives because he is a living, true, and personal God, not some force. I mean, he is, he is an individual God, God our Savior. In verse number eight, so I have come down. Here's the Lord coming down now. And whenever the Lord comes down, what happens? Things go up. He says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. From the land to a good and and large land, in a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So Moses is saying, well, that's great. I am so glad you've seen that. And I'm so glad you're going to do something about it. Thanks for telling me, Lord. And and, and I and I, I can just see you doing it, Lord. I know what you're going to do. You're going to walk in there in your glory, just like you're revealing your glory to me now. And you're going to walk in there into into Pharaoh's palace just like that, and Pharaoh's going to fall on his face is dead, and Pharaoh's going to say, Wh- Whatever you want, Lord, I'll give you. And then, Lord, you're going to take those people and you you, you might even just you know At your word, transport them all the way to the promised land. All two million of them. Lord, I can see you doing that right now. And and that's great, Lord. I'm glad you're going to do that. Moses is in for a surprise, isn't he? Look down at the next verse, verse number 10. It says, come now, therefore, and I will send you. I'm not going to do it. I'm actually, he says, I'm going to deliver them. I've come down to deliver them, to bring them out from from bondage and into the promised land, but he says, I'm gonna send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children out of Israel, out of Egypt. Now at that point, I would say, Lord, wait a minute, you said you were gonna do it. And the Lord now the Lord's saying, Moses, you're gonna do it. And and Lord, which is it? Well, it's both. And that's the way the Lord normally works. I mean, we sometimes we think we can just pray and things are just gonna supernaturally happen and and we don't have to do a thing. No, God uses men and women to save men and women. No, he's the one who saves them, but he uses us as part of his process in saving other men and women. That's the way he's always worked. He gives us a privilege to be part of his salvation, to be part of his deliverance. And that's what he's doing for Moses here. He's giving Moses a great, I mean, did, did God need Moses to do this? No. But we see how God works in this story, and that's the way he works. He uses us in in, in uh, not unsupernatural ways, along with a little bit of supernatural help, to do supernatural things. That's the way he works. That's the way he's always worked. So so when you're trying to to or when you're seeking God and hoping for God to move in a certain way. You've got to be ready to hear those words right there. I'm going to send you. You know, I'm going to send you to deliver these people. And so he says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to use you, Moses. But Moses said to him, who am I? Who am I? Now, here was this guy, Moses, who 40 years earlier thought he was the deliverer of Israel and he didn't need anybody's help to deliver Israel. I mean, he was a big will in Egypt and uh, he was going to take matters into his own hand and he thought the deliverance had become begun when he killed that soldier and he thought he could do it. But 40 years it, in the University of Midian, in the University of Hard Knocks, had changed Moses' perception of himself. He realized that he couldn't deliver Israel. And so so he says to the Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I can't do that. That I should bring the children out of Egypt. So the Lord said to him, he said, oh, you can't do it, but I certainly will be with you. And this shall be a sign. Now he's going to get a sign. Yay. When you get a sign, it makes things a lot easier, doesn't it? Look at this sign that he gets. He gets the same sign that God often gives us. Listen to what he says. He says, I will give, thus shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, Moses, when you've completed the task, you're going to know that I called you to do it. You're going to know that you could do it. And you're not going to probably know it until then. But one day, you're going to come back to Horeb, back to Sinai, and with two million Jews, and you're going to be able to look down from this mountain, and you're going to to look down in that valley, and you're going to see that you did it. That with my help, you did it. Isn't that the way God often works also? We ask for a sign, and what's the sign that he gives us? The sign that he gives us is that one day when, when you're finished with the task, you're going, to be able to, you're going to be able to know that you did it and that I helped you to do it. You know, salvation is sort of like that. We receive Christ by faith. We believe that one day, because we've received Christ, that we're going to stand in the presence of God at the great Bema Seat that we're going to stand in his very presence. If we don't believe in God, we believe as believers that people who don't believe in God one day will stand at the great white judgment seat. Well, give me a sign, you might say. I'll tell you what the sign will be if you don't believe in God. One day, you remember this, if you don't believe in God and you're standing at the white, great white throne judgment seat, that's your sign. And kiss yourself goodbye because you're, you're in deep trouble at that point. If you're standing one day in the presence of God in glory. And he says well done my good and faithful servant. You got your sign. You made it. You made it in. That choice is up to you. Just like Moses has a choice here. That choice is up to you now along the way we get some hints and we get some signs just like Moses is going to get some hints and get some signs but the main sign I mean he could get those hints and get those signs and get lots of signs what he thinks are signs because the devil sometimes gives us false signs and he can think he's doing the right thing all the way but he's not going to know he's done it until he's there and it's done and that's the way it is for a lot of things in the Christian walk you're not going to know So That's why sometimes if you think you're hearing God, you've got to step out in faith and say, God, stop me if you don't want me to do this. Instead of waiting on a sign, you've got to say, stop me if you don't want me to do this. And then when you get where you think God's wanting you to go and you make it there, then that's your sign that God wanted you to be there. God loves you. God knows you. He hears you, and he sees you. And he wants the best for you. And so he's not going to let you step out the wrong way if you're asking him. So you keep asking God, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you do what God tells you to do. And when you get there, you're going to know that you did exactly what you were supposed to do. All right. Then we go on and where did we leave off? I know it was about the signs, but what verse was that? Yeah, we were at 12. So so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, and you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God. Now you got to give Moses a lot of credit here. He's pretty bold. I mean, he's going to actually get into a, uh, not a heated argument, but somewhat of an argument with the Lord about whether or not he ought to do this thing or not. Uh What's the proper response when God calls you to do something? You do it. You say, yes, Lord, like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, But but Moses didn't like that. Moses is more like a lot of us. He's like, Lord, I don't know I want to do that or not. Then Moses said, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what's his name? I mean, you say you've seen God, tell us his name. What shall I say to them? And I, now we get into, you know, I could camp here. If you all want to stay here for three or four days, I could camp here on this one verse. I could camp here. I mean, this is one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture to me. And we're going to run over it because we're doing kind of an overview here, but this is one of those places where we'd stay a long time if we weren't doing an overview. I'm just, just telling you in advance. You're fortunate today if you want to get out of here. He's, listen to what he says. He says, And God said to Moses, I am who? It's the first thing he says to him. He says, I am who? Moses says, who am I? Who am I to deliver the people of Israel out of bondage? And Moses comes back, and the Lord comes back to Moses, and he says, I am who? I am who you need to deliver the Israelites out of bondage. I am who? Who are you, Lord? I am. That's who I am. I am who I am. I am the great I am. What's that mean when the Lord says, I'm the great I am? That means, first of all, he's immutable. He never changes. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't forget. He's who he is. He's the eternal God. He's always been in existence. He always will be in existence. He always will be who he was and who he is and who he will be always. He is who he is. He doesn't change. Thank goodness. We live in a society where people claim that God is changing with society and they're trying to change God with society. Woe to them! Because they end up in idolatry worshiping a God that isn't the true and living God. The Lord says, I am who I am. You know, I can't help but be reminded of one of my other favorite passages in the Bible. Over in John chapter 8, when Jesus was having this terse conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews, the rest of the Jews, and, and he made this great statement. He says, Whoever keeps my word, whoever believes in me, you know, they were talking about how he had a devil in him and all these kind of things, and and he says, listen, let me sum it up like this. Whoever keeps my word will never, never, what's never in the Greek? Never, never taste death. Whoever keeps my word, whoever believes in me, will never taste. Taste death. So I don't. That's why I don't believe in soul sleep. Lord, it's real clear. You will not taste death if you believe in Him. And the Jews sort of laughed at that. He says, "Now we, we know for sure you have a devil in you." I mean, you say that that you'll never taste death. What about Abraham? What about the rest of the prophets? They're all dead. Remember what the Lord said. The Lord said to them. He said. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. In other words, Abraham's still alive. He knows what's going on here right now. And they said, you know Abraham? You're not yet 50 years old, and you know Abraham? And then the Lord said this. He said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham, I should have wrote it down. Somebody help me. Before Abraham was, that's what I thought it was, I am. Before Abraham even existed, I was there. I am. I am what Jesus was saying. I am the great I am. I am the God who Moses saw in the the wilderness. And what did the Jews do at that point? They picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what he was saying. So here here is Moses and he's speaking to the great I am, the I am who I am. And then he says, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then we go down to verse number 15, Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say, To the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. My name will stand the test of time. My name has been around forever, and my name will be around forever. And Israel... And the people of God will be the people who know my name. And then he says in verse number 16 Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and I have seen what is done. Uh, I, have, I have come down to you, visited you, and I have seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. All right. So here's Moses. and He's been called by God. He's been given a commission by God to deliver the Israelites. And then the next thing, the Lord does, and then we'll kind of skip over this for or kind of run over this for just a few minutes uh, in a summary form. But uh, the next thing that, that He does, he gives him a prophetic picture of just how the ex- exodus is going to play out. In other words, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to the elders, the elders are going to go with you to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Pharaoh's going to not let your people go. And then I'm going to send plagues upon Pharaoh. And uh, before this thing is over, Pharaoh's going to let your people go. He's going to let my people go. And uh, here, here's what else is going to happen. Hey, on the way out, you're going to take a plunder. The Egyptians are going to want you out of there so bad, they're going to give you everything they have of value. They're going to give you all their gold, all their silver, all their clothing, and uh, the best of their cattle. And so you're, you're going you're to you're go out of there very wealthy people. So as we come to chapter 4, Mo- Moses has his commission, now, he knows what he's supposed to do, and he's. I think at this point he's agreed to do it, but he's still got some doubts. Uh, and and you gotta you gotta give the Lord a lot of credit here, just like He is with us. He was very patient with Moses, and so Moses says, "Look, all right, I'm going to go, but I, I still I don't I, and, I, and I know your name now, but what do I do when I go to those elders and they just don't believe me? I mean, are you going to appear in all of your glory and?" and uh, show them that you've called me to, or tell them that you've called me to deliver the people of Israel? And the Lord, I think, says no to that. And then the Lord gives him some signs. I'm going to give you three signs that you're going to be able to give to your people. The first sign I'm going to give you is your staff. Take your staff now and cast it on the ground. And Moses took his staff and he threw it on the ground and it turned into the worst thing in the world, a poisonous snake. And then the Lord said, pick it up. And Moses said, say what? And the Lord said, pick it up. And so Moses reached down and when he touched the snake, it became his staff again. The Lord said, now let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it to your bosom. And when he put his hand to his bosom, it turned leprous, as white as snow. And then when he took his hand away from uh, his bosom, it turned back to to flesh, normal flesh. Then he'd put it back and it turned white as snow. He'd put it back and it turned back to normal flesh. So he had a second sign. He said, when you get there, I'm going to give you your third sign. And this is going to be your third sign. The third sign that I'm going to give you, you're going to, you're going to take your staff, you're going to, I mean, you're going, to, you're going to take some water out of the Nile River and you're going to pour it on the ground and it's going to turn to blood. That's going to be your third sign. And when, they, when you've shown them these three signs, I guarantee you, they're going to believe you. Now, if you think about those signs, in those three signs, you get a picture of salvation. I think God intended it that way because you have the snake who's like sin that lies at the door waiting to strike you. And when the the snake of sin strikes you, it sends poison throughout your body. It's like leprosy. It spreads throughout your body, and there's only one thing that can save you, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you get that picture. We're going to get a lot of pictures in the in the book of Exodus. And so uh, Moses says, well, even if I do this, he says, uh, where am I at here? Oh, here we go. Verse number 10. Even if I do, show them the sign. And I show them the signs, and 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 they believe the signs. And still, I'm not the person to do this. And he, he says in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, "Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either before nor since you have you have spoke to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, I'm." Dull of tongue and dull of speech. I'm not an inspirational speaker. So, so Lord, I don't think I'm the one that needs to be doing this. So the Lord said to him, who has made a man's mouth? Who made your mouth, Moses? Or who makes the mute or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? You don't think I know whether you can speak or not? You don't think if you couldn't speak, I, I, I would have called you? Uh, have not I, the Lord, made all of these People, Do I not know uh, whether you can do this or not? Certainly you can do this. But he says, don't worry about it, in verse number 12. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you along the way what you shall say. Uh, in other words, you're going to have an anointing of the Spirit of God, and so you're going to be able to do this. But listen to what Moses said in verse number 13. He said, but, but he said, oh, my Lord, please Send somebody else, please, by the hand of whomever else you want to send, send them don't send me i don't want to go now Moses, certainly, as I said earlier he's had quite a change in character here he's not the proud Egyptian son of pharaoh's daughter he was uh, when he when he left egypt he's now a humble shepherd uh, and and uh, he he doesn't want to do this now that's a good thing that he's humble it's not a good thing that he's not willing to do what God's called him to do he's rejecting the high calling of God don't ever reject the high calling of God for anything else So, so that made the Lord mad look at verse number 14 so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said is not Aaron the Levite your brother I know him he likes to talk he can speak well And look, he's coming to meet you. You haven't seen him in years, but he's coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he's going to be glad in heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I'm going to tell you what to tell him, and you're going to tell him what to say. And he's going to be your mouth for you until you get the courage to do this yourself. Later on, Moses will get the courage to do this himself, and Aaron will kind of of, uh, take a backstage to Moses at that point. And uh, because, as he says in the last part of verse 16, you're going to be like a god to Aaron. At, at, when this thing's over, you're going to be like a god to the people of Israel, not just Aaron, because you're going to do mighty wonders and mighty things by my hand, the Lord says. So he shall be your spokesman for now to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take his rod in your hand, uh, at which you shall do these things signs. And so uh, Moses at this point he agrees, okay I'm going to do this thing. Uh, he packs up his bags. He goes to Jethro, his father-in-law and tells him goodbye and he takes Zipporah and Gershom his son and Eliezer his son and he heads off to Egypt. Uh, and no sooner does he set out than the Lord appears to him and the Lord says to him, Again, he tells him how this is going to go down. It's kind of like, remember, when Jesus kept telling the disciples uh, that that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going to take him and they were going to crucify him, and in three days he would be raised from the grave. I mean, why did he keep keep telling them that? He kept telling them that because he knew they weren't going to believe it all when it happened, and he wanted them to believe it. And so God's telling Moses because he, he doesn't want them it wasn't Moses running from this task at some point, like the disciples were scattered after the cross. Uh, he, wants, he wants to let Moses know this is not going to be easy. So he appears to Moses and he tells Moses, by the way, when you get to Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not going to let my people go. You just, you just bank on that. This is going to be a very difficult process. I'm going to actually, he says, I'm going to harden his heart. Well, Lord, why are you doing that? You can just make this thing harder. I want it to be hard because I want everybody in the end to know that I'm the one who delivered the people of Israel, not you. Now, then Moses begins to travel again and he makes camp that night and the Lord appears to him again and the Lord says, Moses, by the way, I'm going to kill you. What, Lord? I'm going to kill you. Why are you going to kill me, Lord? Because we can only speculate here about what happens next, but we're pretty sure the reason he was going to kill Moses was that he hadn't circumcised his youngest son, Eleazar. See, here was Moses, and he was about to lead two or three million Jews out of Egypt all the way into the Promised Land where they would be a separated holy people unto God but here I mean what a great task what a great privilege he had what a difficult task he had but he hadn't taken care of business at home he hadn't made his own children holy and set apart unto God and that's what the circumcision was all about it was setting the male children apart to be the children of God. And he had done that. Now, there's a lesson there for all of us, whether you're in the ministry or not. I mean, our number one task, I don't care how great you might think your ministry might be or how great your witness is out in the world, your number one task isn't to make other people holy. That's great if you can lead other people into holiness. But your number one task is the holiness of your own family. And that's the way God sees it. I mean, here was Moses, he was about to be killed. And and God says, I have no doubt. He said, You get that son circumcised, or I'm going to kill you. And the reason Moses hadn't circumcised Eliezer, I think he had circumcised Gershom, the reason he hadn't circumcised Eliezer was that Zipporah was appalled by this circumcision. She wasn't a Jew. And and I got to tell you, that's a bloody operation when you circumcise a child. And so she didn't let him circumcise Eliezer. And so now Moses goes to Zipporah and he says, uh, look, I know you're not going to like this, but God's going to kill me if I don't circumcise Eliezer. And she got mad at that point. And so she says, let me do it myself. And so in verse number 25 of chapter 4, it says, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me, and your religion is a religion of blood that's what she was saying she was exactly right by the way our religion is a religion of blood that's why it's so appalling to some people the cross is appalling to some people it's a reproach to a lot of people because it's so bloody how could a hero how could God himself be tortured and 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 have his body broken and his blood shed like that that's brutal that's terrible surely there was another way how could God be that mean there wasn't another way because sin kills and sin has to be paid for and only there's life in the blood and so only the blood can cover our sin and so here was Moses now and and uh, he's He's done everything the Lord wants him to do, and so he gets back on the road, and And while he's on the road, he, he lead, just as he's about to leave the Sinai uh, mountain range, Aaron appears, and they have this great reunion. He shows up, and, and uh, Moses tells him all that God had told him that he was supposed to do, and how everyone's going to have a part in that, and so they get back to Egypt, probably near Cairo, uh, to that area where those slave camps were, and Aaron gathers Together all the elders, and uh, and Moses, uh, then at that point meets with the elders. Uh, he uh, performs the three signs. Uh, look at verse number thirty. Pick pick up with me there. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses to the elders. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. He he showed them the uh, staff that turned to a snake and back to a staff. Uh, he showed how his hand turned leprous when he put it to his bosom, and then when he took it away, it, it ret- returned back to normal, and then he took the water out of the Nile, and he poured it on the, on the ground, and it turned his blood, and they said, wow, that's pretty impressive. You must be the deliverer. No, only God could call you, uh, only God could do these things, and so God has called you to be the deliverer of Israel, and we're about to be delivered, and they were excited. And so verse, the last verse of chapter 4, so the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And there had to be such great joy. I mean, just put yourself in these people's shoes. I mean, they were suffering terrible affliction at the hands of Egyptians and now their deliverer had come and things were looking up because whenever God comes down then things go up they start to look up you know God came down to the Israelites to deliver them out of their bondage in Egypt and take them up to the promised land God came down to to call Moses, to visit Moses so that Moses could be the deliverer and take them up. Later on, God comes down and he takes Moses up on Mount Sinai and and, uh, Moses gets the law, the the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic law. Uh, Later on, Moses takes them all the way up to the edge of the promised land and, and, and Joshua takes them into the promised land. But God wasn't done with Moses at that point. God kept on taking Moses up. Where do we see Moses up again in the New Testament? We see him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. God takes him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there he is with Elijah and Jesus. What a great scene that is. And then later on in the book of Revelation, we're going to see Moses taken up to Jerusalem, and he's going to be one of the two witnesses, and then he's going to be killed, and then he's going to be taken up to heaven again and so Moses is always seeing God come down and taking him up and isn't that true for all of us I mean isn't that true for all of us Isn't that what God has done for all of us he's come down so that we can go up he's come down so that we can be delivered out of our bondage the bondage we are in sin so that we can be delivered up to the promised land, so we can be delivered up to the life, the abundant life that he's chosen for us. And he comes down all the time. He came, 1989, he came down to a little desert in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he saved me out in that desert. And things have been looking up ever since for me. My life has been going nowhere but up since then. Now, there's a few times it looks like it was heading down, but he comes down again. And it goes back up. Because he sees me, he knows me, he hears me. He's part of my life. And he, you know him that way too. You know, later on we're going to see the Israelites. Things aren't going to happen the way they want them to happen. And they're going to be ready to stone Moses. They're going to want him dead. They're gonna be so angry at him, but in the end, he's gonna get the job done, and he's gonna deliver them to that Jordan River and let Joshua take them over. They're gonna get there. You know, there's so many times in my life, since I've been a Christian, where I want to turn on the one who's delivered me, because I don't like the way things are going. What ingratitude that is when we do that. What ingratitude it was when the Israelites turned on Moses. What ingratitude it is when we turn on the Lord, when He's doing His best, not to bring us down, but to bring us up. You know, I just don't believe. There's any room for ingratitude in the Christian life. We are always going up. Soon, very soon, I believe, Christ is going to come down about halfway and we're going to go up and we're going to meet him in the air. And then we're going to come, he's going to come back down with us and he's going to deliver the Israelites up out of the great tribulation. And then for a thousand years and the rest of eternity, everything's going to be looking up, way up, way up. How can we help but not be grateful to the Lord? Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that when you come down, things go up. Lord, all of us have a testimony that one day you came to us and when we were at our lowest point, Lord, you took us up. You took us up, Lord, and you're taking us up now. Lord, when those times come where, where, it's, where it seems like we're falling and, and, and we're going back down, Lord, help us by faith realize that, that those situations are only temporary. That, Lord, in the end, we're going to all go up. We're going to all go up and meet you in the air and live with you forever. We just thank you for that, Lord, and it's only possible by the grace we have in Jesus Christ, by his blood and his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for him. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.